I've been really appreciative of the fact that you're uh, a talkative group, you uh, participate, that's always uh, helpful in any situation. It's helpful in, in marriages, it's helpful in Bible classes. You know, one of my uh, worst experiences in Bible classes is to say, any questions? No questions. You know, then for the next three weeks, you know, the elders say, well, so-and-so came and said they didn't really understand what you were talking about in class, and you know, you never really covered this, and say, why didn't you bring that up in class? It'd been a great time for us to deal with that. So, but, um, she didn't want it. Now you get it. You know, that's not her language. But, um, uh, <clears throat> yeah. You think you're in total control here already. So, all right. While they're passing those out, I want to, uh, this rarely happens when Denise and I are doing workshops together is, uh, I'm usually waiting on her. And when y'all came to the door, I was just kind of stunned. And so I'm going to go over these last couple of, uh, of slides with all of you, because that's kind of where you know, we got to in our discussion. And uh, when we're talking about intimacy and oneness uh, in our marital relationship, it's motivated by love. And just look at those passages. We're not going to read all of them together, but I want you to pay attention to them and realize that we depend upon them, spiritually speaking, don't we? And probably one of the first verses we learned as a child was, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so our first really introduction to love is a giving thing that he gave his son. So in our intimate relationship we have to realize that it's based on that kind of love the, the sacrificial love doing what needs to be done because it needs to be done not demanding a particular response now the Lord wanted us to respond to that if we do respond to that we'll receive eternal life but he did it whether we responded to it or not and so our relationship in the marriage has to be motivated by that kind of love uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes what that kind of love does, and it's sacrificial on every level, isn't it? That it's very real, it's very genuine, um, it provides then the environment for oneness and, and intimacy. Just like God's love provides for us a oneness with Him. And His Son prayed for that in, in John chapter 17, that He prayed that we might be one as a Father is, and somebody's missing one back here, I think. <clears throat> so when you think about that, uh, I was telling the men that one of the most beautiful love stories in the Bible is the book of Ruth. And it's not one of those syrupy kind of, you know, that uh, they have this singles group and they they're made eye contact as soon as they walked in the room, you know, and fireworks went off and they knew that was the one. Uh, but they observed each other in real life context and they were very genuine, they were very honest, it was very selfless. She's taking care of her mother-in-law just like she promised to take care of her mother-in-law. He learned that about her. Her reputation was with everybody that she's a woman of her word. Here's this uh, two widow ladies and this younger uh, daughter-in-law is sacrificial and taking care of her mother-in-law. He knew immediately whoever marries this woman, who's privileged to marry this woman, is going to have a woman who knows how to take care of him. And he learns, she learns about Boaz when she gets to that point 
where she goes under the direction of her mother-in-law and practice a Jewish custom of spreading the skirt over her so the next of kin process can kind of uh, be placed into gear. He says, he's already given it some thought. I'm not the nearest of kin. There's somebody nearer of kin than I am. And if he will do the, the part of the nearest of kin, you'll be taken care of. I've always found that very, very stunning. Because I'll just be honest with you. You know, when, when I was attracted to Denise, I tried to make sure she wasn't connected to anybody but me. And probably if I needed to, and she was attracted to somebody else, I'd say, you don't want them. I can tell you some things about him. You know, uh, he, he wouldn't treat you near as good as I am. And that wasn't Boaz's approach. He's saying, look, the custom was for you to be taken care of. If the nearest of kin does what he's supposed to do, I know that you'll be taken care of. But if he doesn't, then I'm willing to be the next of kin. But when she said, I'm going through this custom, he said, you need to know something. I'm not the nearest of kin. Now, that's a very honest answer, isn't it? Uh, I, I would have been tempted to say, let me see what I can do about this. You know, maybe I can just go tell him, you don't want to marry this woman. Uh, he didn't do any of that. He said, I want you taken care of. If he's going to take care of you, I'm okay with that. Now, that's real love, isn't it? He had her in mind. And that's a love story. So when you're reading through the scriptures and you really want to know what that looks like, then it's kind of sweaty. Have I told you my sweetheart story? Should I tell him my sweetheart story? Denise wrote 1 Corinthians 13 in my annual. And she and I were, uh, we graduated together, so we were in high school together and we were in a chorus together. And I don't really know how I was in the chorus. I just sung what the person next to me sung, and so I guess I was sitting by somebody that knew how to sing. And, and so I made the chorus, and, but to travel with the chorus, you had to be at practice. And I didn't think that meant me. And you know, I played football, and so I, chorus really wouldn't mind. That's just where all the girls were. And so I didn't make chorus practice. And so when they went on their trip, I didn't get to go. He meant what he said. And so I thought, oh, no. You know, they're going to be gone several days, and I'm not going to be there. And, boy, Denise may notice someone else. And uh, I, don't, I don't write love letters, but I thought, I've got to write her a note. So she's got it, and she'll have it with her, and she'll know that, that I love her. And so I wrote her this note, and, and when she comes back off the trip, it seemed like a month. It was just two days. And uh, she came back. You know, I picked her up, and, and uh, uh, we were talking, and she said, mm. I don't want to embarrass you or hurt your feelings, but that note you wrote me? And I said, yeah. I was thinking, she's like, that was just so sweet. She said, I really do appreciate it. But you kept calling me your sweetheart. <laughs> she knew I was meant to say sweetheart, and I, you, you know I'm not the best speller in the world, and so uh, I wasn't communicating what I thought I was communicating. And I thought, and I put that in there, it had to be a hundred times, you know, sweetheart this and sweetheart that, and you're my sweetheart, and I thought that's what I said, but she said, you just kept calling me your sweetheart. And so I was just mortified. So you know I didn't write any more love letters for a long, long time, but I know how to spell sweet, you know, and I really do, I won't ever forget that. But here, here's the moral to the story, and this is the Ruth Boaz part of it, is we were moving, you know, sometimes preachers move when they don't want to move, and so... We were up in the U-Haul, and it was hot, 
you know, we were in Georgia and we were moving to, uh, to Alabama and, uh, you know, a lot of your friends are busy when you're moving, you know, and so uh, she and I are doing a lot of this together. We were up in the back of U-Haul and sweat just pouring off of us and her hair's kind of stuck to her head, you know, and, and she got on her blue jeans and uh, she sweated through her shirt and I got her by the hand and I said, <clears throat> have I told you lately that you're my sweetheart? You know? <laughs> You know, because here she was, and I said, you know what? I was wiser than I knew I was. Anybody can be a sweetheart, really. I mean, you get all dressed up and showered and do your hair and, and look nice when there's really nothing to do, but look nice. But what happens when you have to load those U-Hauls? And boy, this woman been up with children running fever and and when they're running fever and you have to hold their little bodies next to you, your sweat pouring off of you. And, and so now when I send her cards, I do that on purpose. Uh, if it says, to my sweetheart, I cross it out and put sweatheart. Because that's really who she is. She's going to be there when it's really hard and it's difficult and, and you have to sweat. You have a rebuttal of that? Oh, yeah. And my... Our oldest son was in high school. We, I had this old 66 pickup truck that I had inherited from my father. And so I fixed it up. And that was their first vehicle. It was three on the tree. And so I thought, you know, you can learn to drive a ship. You can drive anything. And, and so they all had to drive the truck. That was their first vehicle. And so I had to fix it up and take care of it. And, and then when they got through school and bought their own, then the next child got it. And anyway, my oldest child, uh, he had to drive that truck to school, and so he'd ask this little girl out after a football game. He's playing football, and so he'd ask this little girl to go. Uh, in Alabama, I don't know how you do it in Florida, but when they uh, wanted to go do something after the game, they said, we're going to go get a Coke. And that meant a soft drink. They'd go down to the you know, Dairy Queen or wherever it is, and they're going to get a soft drink together, and then they're going to go home. And so he said, he asked her out to get a Coke. And uh, so he calls me, and he said, Dad, uh, this piece of junk has broke down again. <laughs> and uh, I knew what he's talking about, but if, if you've ever seen a, 50, uh, a 66 Chevrolet, you can take a screwdriver and a piece of baling wire and fix anything on it. You know, so I got my, my baling wire and my screwdriver, and I, uh, I went, and he, something had fallen off underneath, you know, and so uh, he kept saying, piece of junk, you know, and so he's holding the flashlight, and I'm up under there fixing it, and he said, I'm never going to get a girlfriend with this piece of junk, you know, and I said, by the way, where is she? Well, her daddy came and got her. I said, he said, and I'm not going to ever get a girl with a, this piece of junk, and, and so I'm just fixing it, and I said, do you know where your mother would be if she and I were in this piece of junk and it broke down? It got real quiet. He said, holding this flashlight. Why do you think that about her? Because he'd seen her hold the flashlight. He'd heard this story about a sweatheart. He knew exactly what his mother would be doing. And so I said, well, you know, anybody can be a sweetheart. Yeah. And the, what, guess what the sweetheart's going to do? Call daddy, come get her when you have to sweat. Really? And a lot of people that way, aren't they? And so I was wiser than I thought back then, but that's really the reality of romance is, are you willing to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done? If it is, Boaz was impressed. 
the servant said, this woman comes out here early in the morning, she takes a little break during the day, but she's right back at it. And he didn't say, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to buy you chocolate and candy. He said, look, you travel with us every field we go to and you glean in the fields. He didn't tell her to stop doing what she's doing, taking care of her mother-in-law. He, he knew that's who she was. And she knew she was safe on that threshing floor or spreading that skirt over her when it's just the two of them at the threshing floor. Because she knew her mother-in-law wouldn't send her to do that custom if it was harmful to her. And Boaz was respectful to her in all aspects of it. That's really romance. And that's the, that produces the intimacy then that we can share together. Now, here's what I want you to, what I wanted to share with all of us together. I'm going to share this with men. Since men don't voluntarily oftentimes read, uh, you can probably help them with this. But when you're thinking about romance as, you know, we're kind of co-authors of a novel, aren't we? Our experience together, we're writing this novel. We get to have some input as to what this novel uh, contains. We get to contribute to it. So you write it carefully. You wouldn't be here this weekend if you wasn't wanting to have that in your relationship. But the decisions you make and what you apply from what we talked about this weekend helps you write that carefully. As companions on this adventure, we've given the definition of what, what romance is. Uh, I'm hearing voices again. Yep. Since you're on this adventure, watch where you're going. Don't just wander off somewhere, have an intentional place to go in your marriage. And here's something else you pay attention to. Watch the mile markers. Uh, they all have significance. You ever notice that when uh, you're trying to give somebody directions, you'll say, when you get to mile marker so-and-so, there's a little red barn sitting out in the field by itself. Uh, you want to turn right there. You kind of have these, these mile markers along the way so you can say, I've traveled that road. I know what's on that road. I know where those things are. And uh, Denise and I reminisce about some of our favorite experiences together. Those are kind of the mile markers. You know, like I was telling the men, you've got to hear this, women, because uh, you'd appreciate it. The men probably didn't, but you will is when Denise and I first married, we had nothing. Had to live with my sister for a few weeks till our apartment became open. And so uh, I had a brother that gave us a, 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 a vinyl couch and a bedroom suit. Didn't have any dining room suit. So to eat, we had to sit on the side of the bed and eat off the dresser. And I can tell you, that's just the most wonderful experience to me because here was this mirror and we're sitting on the side of the bed. It's like a photograph to change every day, you know? We're just sitting there and at the different meals and our little plate was sitting on the dresser and we just, oh, we were so happy to have our own little apartment. People look at us and think, well, bless their heart. They don't have anything, but we had each other. And that's really what we wanted. And here was this reflection saying, isn't it nice to be here? Uh, oh, we have our own apartment. We don't have my sister and her husband and their kids jumping all over everywhere. And isn't this just wonderful? And people that don't experience having Nothing but having each other and never really have that mile marker to say, hey, that's wonderful. And sometimes we contribute to that because we try to give our kids what we have and we rob them of that journey. And if they're writing this novel, they never really get to write something that's been experienced. They just always had it. And so they never earned it 
they never work for it, um, they've never done without it, and so they really don't have the, the adventure that they need to have. See, watch where you're going. And you're kind of co-signers of an agreement, and so keep your word. That this is who we are, what we committed to. And then the men, we looked at this, uh, you know, God being at the pinnacle. That's the focus. That's, he's the, the creator. He's the instructor. You know, he's uh, the, the spiritual intimacy we have is with the Lord, that we can be one with him. And then the passion is our, our, uh, our love for each other and for him. And then we have, uh, at the foundation of all that, is commitment. Keep your word. I was telling the men, you know, we, we make those vows really easily, but we don't always keep those. Here's what I want to share with you, and we'll go to the, uh, spend a few minutes on quality time. The worksheet on problem solving. Since we are to communicate and we are to um, work through these things together, how do we get there? In this, the five weeks that I have in premarital counseling, uh, this is the last exercise they do together. Uh, they fill out forms that they have to uh, do separately. They read the devotional things together, and then they, the forms they fill out about their family background and their likes and why they were attracted to this person and what strengths are and, and kind of some things that about this person about aggravate them. And they fill it out separately so they don't influence each other, and then I process that information with them. So along with the five weeks, we identify some things that they differ on. There's a section where they have uh, different roles that are described. And they'll say, uh, you agree, you disagree, or uh, you don't know. And it'll have something that the wife always is responsible for X, Y, or Z. And there's always a little key word in there that makes that meaningful. And they fill it out separately. When they come back, I, I highlight the ones they differ on, and we point those out. Okay, you answer this way, you answer this way. Not necessarily right or wrong answers. They're just different answers. So how do we come to agreement? So over five weeks, they've identified some of those things that they differ on, and so they usually pick out one of those and they go through this problem-solving sheet. And so the first thing I have to do is define the problem. Here's what they've done for five weeks. Here's what I require them to do. You haven't experienced that this weekend, but it's a good practice for you. Um, they have to tell me after that first week what time of day that they're going to take 15 minutes and they're, they're fiancés, so they're not a couple yet, and so they may have to do it on the phone, or they maybe have scheduled a date, or whatever it is, but 15 minutes every day, the same time of day, they have to read that lesson that I've given them, some portion of that. They have to look up the verses, and they have to talk about what the verses say, and then they have to go to God in prayer about what they've read. I don't try to sneak up on them. I say, here's what I'm trying to do is when couples come to me with problems who are already married, they talk about not being able to communicate and, and things are in disarray, and it come to find out they're not spending a lot of time together working on these things, and they don't know how to. They just argue about it. So here's what I do. I know God's talking to them every day, the same time every day, because I've assigned it. And I know what he's talking to them about, because I've assigned it. And I know they're communicating. They're talking every single day, and I know what they're talking about because I've assigned it. I know they're talking to God every day. The same time every day, I know what they're talking to God about because I've assigned it. 
Now, if they do that every day, the same time of day, for five weeks, here's the plan. It becomes a habit. Now, when they're married and problems come up, I'm hoping that they've developed this habit to say, let's see what God says about it. We've got the time set aside. We know the source. Let's go see what God said about it. Rather than say, you know how I feel about that. And her say, you know, you always do this to say, all right, this is something we just hadn't been able to resolve. What does God say about this? And you go search out what God said. Now you have something common to talk about. He's not telling you what to do, and you're not telling him what to do. You're letting God tell both of you what to do. And then you talk about, okay, what does that mean? So you define the problem. You determine the scripture that addresses the problem. You determine the implications of what you're going to have to do about it now in response to what God has said. And you determine how you're going to implement that. How you're going to go about doing that. What's going to keep you from doing that? There's always an impediment. And the form doesn't spell it out this way, but I, I make a little adjustment in my presentation to them. I'll say, whatever impedes you doing that becomes a new problem. And you really haven't solved it until all the impediments are removed. So make that your next problem. <laughs> whatever would impede you doing what God said do, make that a problem. And what does he say about that? And you keep on until there's just not any impediments. So in our case, what we've talked about this weekend, you say, you know, a lack of communication is a problem. What does Scripture say about communication? And we, we're not going to look at all those Scriptures, just give you an example of, of how that would be determined. Those are things that specifically talk about being swift to hear and slow to speak, and boy, did we need to learn that. Well, the implication, I need to pay attention and listen, and I, it requires patience and uh, no immediate reaction. It sounds like there ought to be some thought in those scriptures, doesn't it? That you ought to think before you speak. You to get the information before you speak and you react. And determine the implementation. Make sure to listen carefully. Try to understand the other person and see things from their point of view. Does that sound familiar? I see. So I incorporate this over and over and over in the five weeks, and they say, all right, you've got all the equipment, you've got all the resources, you've got the practice of how to have this relationship. Now, I don't mind performing a wedding ceremony for people that I know know that. I feel like when they stand up there and they're making those vows, they have a little deeper understanding of what those vows are going to mean. Uh, and that's how they solve the problem. Determine the impediment. Distraction. You know, the ball game may be on the background or Arkansas is about to play or Florida is about to play LSU. And there can be all kinds of training. Well, I, I heard you, but I didn't hear you. Audibly, I knew you were saying something to me, but I didn't hear you. That can be an impediment. Uh, maybe it's not clearly explained. And so whatever the impediment is, and we, we go back through the, the process. So... Uh, we won't go through another, that's a, a financial one. So let me pause this, you give me one minute, and I'll change um, slides and we'll go through the quality time quickly. While I'm doing that, what questions or comments do you have in reference to what we've talked about thus far? Warn you out, huh?
say this is supposed to be over by now. Just look at it this way. If it's a ball game and went in overtime, you think, yes, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of the way that works. All right. I tell you, you know, you, um, you do work at it. You invest in it. And I'll have to admit that one of our challenges in our marriages, in our marriage, is I'm a sports fanatic, and I've had to really manage that. Um, if it's got a strategy to it, I'm all about it. My wife, some years ago, um, it's about 1 o'clock in the morning, and um, she saw the light on in the living room. She came in there, and she said, what in the world are you doing? And I said, I'm watching curling. It was, it was, a, it was the Olympics, you know, and, and uh, you know, it was on the other side of the world, and so I can't remember what country it's in, but, you know, that, that particular sport was on real late at night, and, and, they, to her, it looked like this pumpkin-looking thing, you know, it had a handle on it, and they were sliding on the ice, and what in the world would I be up at 1 o'clock in the morning watching that for? And I said, it reminds me of when I was a kid playing marbles on the playground. That's what curling looks like to me. You know, you're, you're trying to knock them out of the center, and, and you're trying to be in the, in the place and uh, prominent. I, said, I used to go home from elementary school with a pocket full of marbles, and, and boy, they get that little brush, you know, and they make it faster, and they slow down and slow down and slow down had a strategy to it. So that's a challenge to me to make sure that, that I, don't, um, I don't misuse those things. So to answer that question, um, you know, I definitely invested in, in sports. All right, let me, I think I'm almost there. There we are. All right. Any other questions or comments? I want to uh, share with you some of the aspects of the love languages. You know, one of the things with quality time, and one of the things that people bring to us as couples is uh, their lack of being able to manage their time, either in their uh, in the finances or in their relationship or their child rearing or, or just managing. And sometimes in the church environment, uh, we don't always uh, uh, educate folks. For instance, if you've got young families and you, got a lot, you have a lot of them here this weekend, uh, your first primary responsibility is to your family. And the church ought to. We're going to have door knocking and we have gospel meetings and you ought to participate in the gospel meetings, those kind of things. But uh, if you're raising young children, you can't be involved in every activity of the church. And, and devote the time you need to devote to your kids. And elders and leaders in the church ought to recognize that's a mission field for young couples. You raise your children. Yes, you can take your children with you door knocking when they get old enough and those kind of things. But there's a lot of things that go on in the life of a congregation that you don't have to be engaged in every one of those. And that's, that's the quality time that you need to be aware of. 
And so the scriptures teach us to redeem the time. And when you define that, that means to, to buy it up, to cash it in, to value it, to invest it wisely. And time means it's the period in which something exists or happens. And so that sounds a little vague, but I mentioned to you last night, my wife says when I say, you know, I'd like for us one of these days to do so-and-so, she'll say, we better get it done. You know, our, our life expectancy, according to the scriptures, we're on the top side of that. You know, three score and, and ten, by reason of strength, four score, well, we're on up there, really, really close to that three score and ten. What does that mean? He said if you live that long, it's probably as long as you can expect, so enjoy it. And so I can't say, you know, 20 years from now I want us to do this. Uh, we better get it done. So you need to value that, understand what it is, uh, see its value, and, and use it wisely. There's some limitation to it, isn't it? It's brief. What does James describe it as? It's a vapor that appeareth for what? A little while. That means it's brief. And boy, did Denise and I recognize that. The length of each day is the same for everybody. Uh, when you say you have no time, what does that mean? All right, it's, it's a matter of priorities because we have the same amount of time in the day. And if one of us can do it, why couldn't the other do it? Again, this is not always a right or wrong thing that everybody has to do the same thing, but we're saying if we use that terminology, I don't have time, not an accurate terminology. We have the same amount of time. We need to be honest about it and say, I have other priorities. Some of those are legitimate. A young couple can say, you know, um, with my uh, responsibility with my kids, you know, I really can't be involved in that right now. One of these days, I hope I can be, but right now I can't. Now, that's an honest answer, isn't it? Their priorities are, God bless me with these children. I have a responsibility to take care of them. I don't have the same kind of focus you do right now. Now, that's an honest answer, and we ought to accept that answer. We ought to use it that way rather than act like some people have more time than others. We don't. You had something to name? I told a lady who's in the class in there about Mike Pompeo mm -hmm. saying, we have to give you 10 minutes carve out time for what's really important. Mm -hmm. that, if you couldn't hear her, she and I got to hear Mike Pompeo, our Secretary of, of State at a conference we were at, at the uh, counseling conference, and, and he said we have to be intentional uh, about carving out time for those things that are in really important to us. Now here's a, a man who's in a very prominent position, having a lot of responsibility, but he was talking to this group about our immediate family responsibilities and uh, his, his spiritual focus. And there were some things that he took time every day uh, to read the scriptures. Now here's a man who's got all this weight of, a, uh, of, of this policies to uh, worldwide responsibility. And he said, that's important to me. You know, that you have to respect that. Now there are a lot of people in a lot of prominent positions that have other priorities. But he said, you know, that's a priority to me. And so I'm going to carve out that time. And the people around me know that that time is carved out. And I don't, you know, I don't give up that time easily. Do you have something else on that? Yeah. But we, I thought that was impressive, you know, that uh, 
Which indicates to us, all of us, big part. right you do have to be intentional i've got a one of my you know preachers have um favorite sermons or at least this preacher does and sometimes when you're studying and and you you discover a truth and um you're going to share it with folks you know you share it with them and everybody maybe hopefully benefits from it but you kind of move on to other things and some sermons you just kind of experience and you live and you use them every day and one sermon that I, that I uh, discovered in my study that I preach has those components in it. It encourages us to live life on purpose, with purpose. You know, life is before us, and we, we get to choose what we do with the day. If we, he uses, uh, the secretary used the word intentional, which is the same as the word purpose. You've got, uh, you have a purpose behind what you're doing, and you do it on purpose that you choose to do it and you do it with purpose, that it has lasting meaning. And I try to live my life that way and live as if this day were your last and not, I have a sister. All of us are still alive, all 11 children, so the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we have our Martin reunion. And, and I have this one sister, she's just sweet as she can be, but she has this little uh, pessimistic cloud that she uses every year, not intentional, well, I, I say intentional. She says it every year, so I guess she, she knows what she's doing. But here we all happy to be together, and she said, well, we better enjoy it. This may be the last time we're all together. You know, uh, well, while we're there, then it, it kind of, not careful, it diminishes really enjoying your time together because what if somebody's not here next year? But there is a, a meaning behind that, isn't it? We do ought to enjoy it. But she says it in a way that, boy, what would that look like next year? One of us is not here. Who might it be? You know, I've got kind of, that kind of deal. Kind of a little cloud comes floating in. Uh, so we need to live every day as if it were our last. And then respect this value. How valuable is it to you? I told you mine and Denise's language has changed, our, our love language. And it's gone from acts of service and words of affirmation to quality time. And I'll explain to you why. Because we realize, hey, I'm, I'll be 67 years old next month, 21st of December, if you want to send me a card. Uh, 67 years old. Wow. You know, that seems unfathomable. We move back to our hometown, we think, man, we were just teenagers yesterday. Yeah, we drive up and down the same street that we drove up and down when we were in high school. What happened? And we see all these old people on the street, we think, I ought to know that person. Wasn't he in our class? He didn't look like that then. You know what I mean? Time just kind of gets away from you. You ought to value it and say, we're going to live every single day conscious of today. And that it means something to us, that we just value it. And to your personal responsibilities, I told the young couples, what's their responsibility? You know, take care of each other as husband and wife and, and get to know each other and take care of those children. Whatever your time frame is, and that, that's what you've been blessed with, and, and you only get one chance to really invest in them and train them and teach them, uh, you use that, respect it, as, as that the time is what you're supposed to be doing. And elders in the church and, and preachers ought to be encouraging that to say, hey, 
prioritize that. When people start saying, well, you know, they don't ever come for X, Y, or Z. Say, well, you know, they got young children. And, you know, they're, they're trying to nurture them and teach them, and they really are teaching them God's Word. They'll get there. Um, family responsibilities, we talked about some of those things we can do together, and a lot of those chores that we separate out into uh, male or female or husband or wife, uh, we could kind of experience together and use those, that time valuable. Denise and I do almost everything together now. She's a great cook, and I've already told you, I don't mind washing dishes. And, boy, if she'll keep cooking like that, I'll wash anything she messes up. You know, if she cooks that kind of food, uh, I don't want her to have to do the dishes and say, you know, when I cook that, I have to use five different pans. I tease her sometimes. I'll say, I've washed this same bowl today four times. <laughs> you know? And she said, well, that, it, it, sure, it kind of fits everything I'm doing. I mix that in it, and you got it clean, so I'll just use it again. And, and so we do that together. We got a little small kitchen, and so we're really close. Uh, we can talk to each other. Uh, she lets me sample everything. I'm the bowl sopper. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, when she makes that coconut pie and stuff, uh, since I'm washing the dishes, she said, you can sop the bowl. And I think the, the sopping the bowl is better than eating the pie. It's just, it's special. It's mine. I used to fight the kids over it. They'd say, can I sop the bowl? I said, absolutely not. You know, that, that's my chore, my... And so we're getting to do this together. We experience that together. That allows us to talk about our spiritual responsibilities. We pray for people. We'll pray for some of you that we've gotten to know and didn't know beforehand because you've shared some things with us. And so we get to experience that together, talk about what's going on in the Lord's work, and we redeem that time, make really good use of that time because we respect it. Regulated use. That means somebody, I think, brother back here this morning was talking about uh, the priorities we set. And when it comes to time management, it is a priority matter. What are you willing to do with the time? And it's not coming back. And once it's gone, guess what? That's not coming back. And you need to make sure. Now, you don't cry over that. You know, these not go back on some of our things and say, we wish we'd done this when our kids were small, and we wish we'd done that, but, but we don't just spend time uh, crying over that. But here's what we do with, with sessions like this. We tell you what our experience was. And we felt kind of obligated to do some things when we were a young family that we wished we had slowed down and just said, no, this is a spiritual matter to us too. No, we can't go on that, that mission trip, but boy, we've got a mission field right here in our home, and we're going to really concentrate on it. We're the only two missionaries that really can do this right. We're going to concentrate. We didn't do that as, as disciplined as we would like to have done. But we, we've learned from it. We can share it with you. Schedule realistically, particularly young couples. Uh, I don't get on Facebook a lot, but when I do, young couples on Facebook a lot. And here's what I've read and what my wife read to me sometimes. They say, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, the kids are doing this. And, and a lot of them, you know, they, they want to have a big family. And they talk about, I wish I'd have some more kids. And then next thing we know, they're posting something. Well, the kids are just, you know, they're just driving me crazy. And, you know, and there's so much housework, it just never ends. And I'm thinking, can you get off of Facebook? <laughs> you know, really, I'm not trying to be rude. If you happen to be one of those, I don't know you. And so 
if you send me a friend request, just know that if you get on there doing that, I'm going to say, hey, while you're typing that message and bemoaning to everybody about not having time, you might have could have got that laundry done. Or you might be taking those children and say, hey, let me show you how to do laundry. Hey, you want to help me fold up those tiles? No, this is how I'd prefer to have the, the washcloths uh, folded this way that you're kind of when you're walking in the way and you're sitting in your house, you're spending time with the responsibility you're supposed to do. Don't tell me when you're brushing your teeth and combing your hair. I don't care. I, I'll just go ahead and tell you, if I'm friends with you on Facebook, I don't care when you brush your teeth. I really don't know what kind of toothbrush you use. It doesn't make me any difference. Don't share that with me. You know, I want to connect with people so we can kind of promote the cause of Christ and encourage each other in the Lord. And so that's not encouraging me for, for you to share things with me that really doesn't, doesn't matter to me at all. So, didn't mean to get on that soapbox, but that just, that's really a, that's really a bothersome <laughs> thing for me. <laughs> uh, so schedule realistically. Make sure it's things you can accomplish. Denise and I are really ambitious, and sometimes we'll like to say, you know, why did we book all those things? That's, you know, now we're saying, whew, I wish we were home some. Well, then don't book that many. Speaking engagements. Be realistic about what you can accomplish and meet the priorities that you've set for yourself. Delegate tasks. That's not an easy thing for Denise. She doesn't like to delegate. Because what she knows, and she's absolutely correct, she can do it better. If she delegates it, now I'm not putting her down at all. She can do it better. If she delegates it, now she's kind of stuck. Somebody like him, she's like, mm, 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 mm. She's got a friend, you know, and she gave her, said, what can I do, what can I do? And so she told her what to do, and, and she set all these tables up for this ladies' day, uh, and she didn't take any of the stickers off of the things she's putting out. So here's, this is 10 cents, and, you know, this is that, and, and all the stickers and you know, the, she didn't even take the things off of the, Denise like, everybody shows up, we got these beautifully decorated tables and here are the package labels and price tags still on it. Every table. I said, well, at least they're consistent. You know, they, uh, they did it all that way, but she delegated that. She thought, okay, I'm running short on time. What would she have done? Taking all those labels off and, and made sure the decorations are right. So it's not easy for her to delegate but it's not realistic to think you can do everything. And guess what? Nobody's gonna ever know how to do that if you don't take the time to teach them. Now she didn't go look until after the, you know, everybody's present, but you could have gone around and looked and just said, hey, do you mind just taking those labels off? Huh? She said, I could have just done it myself. Develop the skills of decision making. We just walked through that together. And so we won't spend time doing that again on the, on the worksheet. So I want to share something with you as we close. And it fits into what we've talked about all weekend and what Denise shared with you about what the Secretary of State shared with us about being intentional. Uh, we talked about communication. And this is, you know, us talking to each other. Um, but I want to encourage you to listen to your marriages and to your family. And here's how intentional I want you to be about it. Um, I don't have a chair, so I'm going to use this. Find you a place 
in your house um, where you can just sit down every now and then, maybe when you come home from work, men, and uh, before you start interacting with your wife or your children, and as you're taking your shoes off and you just sit there a few minutes and you say, what is my marriage saying to me? Not what my wife says or what the children are screaming or just like, what am I hearing about my marriage and my family? If you're intentional about listening, there are just things that kind of come to the surface and say, you know, I've just been working a lot of overtime and I can just feel that everybody's kind of tiptoeing around because I've had to work and they're trying to make sure they don't stress me out and I want us to experience this together. You know, my, my family is saying that I'm missing in some of this, so uh, I'm going to turn down some of that over time because my family is saying there's a need for me to be present more often. Or if that's just not possible to say, you know, instead of me coming in saying, I am just exhausted, can you just give me a break here, you know? No, I don't, I don't feel like going out in the backyard throwing the ball around with you. No, I can't come to your ball game tonight. And no, I know you've got a piano recital, but if you don't mind, Dad just worn out. You know, that you say, sure. I've been thinking about it all day. Can't wait. You know, I've heard you practice on that piano. I want to see you put that to good use. I'll be there. You know, those are the kind of things if you, are, you find a place you make the time, you're intentional about it, to say, I really want to listen. Just your space, your chosen moment, and then when you go engage with your spouse or with your family, you've listened to them. I'm not talking about saying, how did your day go, because you want to do those kind of things, but I'm talking about all by yourself. When you're coming in and you're about to re-engage with your with your spouse or your family, you have a place that's just yours. And you just sit there a moment, and you don't think about your boss at work, and you don't, you don't think about who's playing on Monday night football. You don't think about some sad thing that's happening to somebody at church. You just say, all right, I'm about to reconnect with those that I love the most on this planet. What am I hearing? And now what am I going to do about what I hear? Now you're purposefully planning to have a different kind of engagement with those that you're reconnecting with. It may be that you know, you've not communicated with your spouse how much you appreciate coming home and the good meals cooked and kids are taken care of. And you just intentionally say, have I told you lately how good it feels just to come home to you? that I, I, I long to get to the house to see you. Just wanted to let you know I appreciate you creating that kind of environment where I, I can't wait to get home. That may seem like a really small thing, but you see, when you see all these things happening and, and, and being carried out, or you see these strains that are occurring, listen to them. And then respond to them. Go, go in and Make a pronouncement. You know, I'm just sitting out in the hall and I'm just thinking about this and, you know, what if we tried this? I'm not talking about putting some other responsibility on somebody else. 
I'm talking about just purposely making a time to listen to your relationship. What does it say? What do you hear? And once you hear it, what do you plan to do about it? You've taken the weekend to learn some skills and uh, if you didn't get the resource list, make sure you get those so you, a, a lot of these areas are covered that we don't have time to, to build on, but I wanted to leave that with you. Now you take what you've learned this weekend and the skills that you've learned and other things that you'll learn through your reading and your study and this, this language that you know you're going to have to master. If you know what the other person's language is, now your skill is to um, you know, make sure that you practice it and practice it and practice it until you get competent with it and you speak it fluently. But part of that will be you finding some time just to listen. If you're the, the spouse at home and you know your spouse is coming home from work or your kids are coming home from school, uh, you find that private place before they all reconnect and you sit down and say, what do I hear? What do I want them to come home to? And you be intentional about it. I hope those things have been helpful to you. Questions or comments? You've been very diligent, and I know you could be doing a lot of other things uh, this weekend, and I admire you for saying, look, uh, I'm going to intentionally take that time. I don't know this guy. You know, I don't know why Brother Bob invited him, but he did. The elders made this choice, so okay, here we are. And I hope when you look back on it and say, it was worth me coming. I learned something that I can use and that it enriches your personal life, it enriches your, your marital life, it enriches your family life, it enriches the, the, the spiritual family life. So we're in this thing together, aren't we? And folks, I want to go to heaven more than anything else in this world. And I want this sweet little lady here to go with me. And I want us to make sure we enjoy everything we can while we're here. And that we encourage each other to say, isn't heaven going to be wonderful? because he provided an opportunity for us to have some insight about it while we're here. Questions or comments? Thank you for being here. Yes, sir. Do you have your email in case anybody would want to? Yes. Um, you can email me at, I don't think it's on any of the handouts, but if you want to jot this down, and I'll, I'll send it to Brother Bob. Well, Brother Bob has it, but I, um, it's Christian Counseling Services with an S on the end of services, all one word. Christian Counseling Services at yahoo.com. If you wanted the PowerPoints or, or something, you just let me know and I'll, I'll share that with you. Uh, use it anyway, any of the material that we've given you that will, um, will serve the Lord. The handouts are up here. The resource list is right here. Uh, copies of most of the books on the resource list on the front pew if you want to look at what they look like and thumb through them. But here's the resource list. Um, we have read all those. We, we don't recommend things that we don't, we haven't read or we haven't used, and we've, we've used the components from that in our relationship, or we wouldn't be sharing it with you. Yeah, most of these are not written by members of the church, so you need to know that disclaimer. Some of their terminology would, would be different than ours, but the biblical principles that they use are accurate. And uh, so... Uh, the answer to that dilemma is that our, our brethren ought to write more. We, we have the 
truths and the answer. And Denise and I have been trying to do that for a lot of years. We're going to intentionally on purpose make sure that we reduce our schedule so we can get that done. We, we've got the material together, but writing it in publishable form is a challenge. And um, so when people invite us to speak, we're going to say in 2025 we can and just clear our calendar and try to get that done because we have to make that disclaimer every time you know these are not members of the church and and we're the folks who ought to be writing the books and uh, anyway that's that those resources are there thank you again for being part of, of today and uh, I hope it's been worthwhile and can we close with a word of prayer Holy Father, we are truly, truly grateful that we can address thee as our Father. We recognize the, the sacrifice that it took for us to be spiritually adopted into thy family and to have thy attentive ear as our Father. We're truly grateful. We're thankful for not only thy love in sending thy Son, but his love in coming and his willingness to shed his blood to have our sins removed and our lips purified. We're grateful that we can share our spiritual family together and have brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can share occasions like this to be reminded of, of how to have those uh, relationships here in the way that Thy designed for us to have them, to make us healthy and strong and, and that we can assist and help each other as we make this journey together. And we pray that we would encourage each other in Christ and, and mentor each other along the way pay attention to the journey that we're traveling and that we would carefully write the pages of our life in a way that would glorify thee and enhance our relationship together. We ask for forgiveness as we fall short in our lives and we're grateful for this congregation of thy people and for every individual that obviously wanted to learn more and, and be prepared to do more in thy service. And we pray, Holy Father, that we be not only forgiven of our transgressions as we turn away from them in repentance, but that we would be homesick for that place that awaits us there. And we ask in Christ Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, folks.